You know, I didn't realise they'd turn this place into like a speakeasy. I'm sorry? That's Sue. I hope for your sake Al Capone don't want it back. <laughs> you were the one who was nagging me to buy a Leave new Leave him outfit. alone. I think it's very stylish. I don't know, it does have a whiff of pipe blazer about it, but it is lovely, it's nice material. Hey, after what he said, I thought it was time I was a little more bold. Well, it certainly is bold, all right. If I ever need any bathtub gin, I'll know where to go. <laughs> The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 219 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast whose notes were written by Drew just before he died, and he's very proud of the podcast we've become. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm a band mom now. Yeah, I think that's probably getting picked up. <laughs> Listen. Oh God, there's two of them. Yes. That's why she's played outside. She's playing with wee Gavin. Because she's encouraged we Gavin to take up the trombone as well. Did I tell the story of uh, when we were in proper lockdown? Like lockdown, lockdown. Uh-huh. And when we were working from home and I was in here without going back to the office and stuff. And right. Stella was concerned at her, um, her trombone playing because her room is directly above this office. Yes. She was concerned that it was going to disturb me in my constant Teams meetings. Right. So she took it outside and stood like I assume six feet beyond that window <laughs> with her and we Gavin who I think plays a trumpet he plays a trombone now it was like having a brass band concert right outside my window which was done so as not to disturb me she tends to play in the basement now which again which is where trombones belong <laughs> which again it's in the basement so you can hear it everywhere in the house. Right. It seems to amplify when it's in the basement. Right, yeah. The house because, amplifies it. Because the basement is basically one room. I mean, it's it's two rooms, but there's there's space in between those two rooms that is open. Right. Huh. So yeah, so she's outside playing trombone at with cl- wee Gavin. 8 o'clock at night with wee Gavin. No relation. <laughs> so we're we're making friends in the neighborhood, I guess. How are you? I've kind of started a new job, which I'm kind kind of excited oh, about. Oh, exciting! Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm getting back into doing into working for an actual auction house again. You know, doing research and in art and pottery and vintage toys and all the stuff that I love to get my fingers into. Very good. So that's that's fun and exciting and interesting. It gets me out of the house a little bit, but also. You know, in a warehouse where there are very few people, so I still don't have to speak to the public oh, right. or so very much kind of anybody the at all. Best of both worlds, then you get out of the house, but you don't have to interact with people. Correct. Excellent. <laughs> because we all know how I feel about people. Yeah, which is why we do podcasts. <laughs> how are you? I'm all right. I didn't start a new job this week. No. I did, however, nearly finish off Friday the 13th. Yes. I'm up to 10, so I've only got two more to go. Exciting. Whew. I've almost watched all of the limited series that are up for an Emmy this this year. I just need to watch Dope Sick. Well, I've started to watch 
all the movies that have won the Oscar for Best Picture. And I watched the first one from the 1929 Oscars. Wings? The movie Wings, uh, which is a silent movie. Right. It lasts for two hours and 20 minutes, which is far longer than I expected any silent movie to last. And it features male nudity, brief female nudity, and a homosexual kiss. All from 1927. Yes, that was before... Before the code. Before the code. Shut all that shit down. Shut all that shit down. Or at least buried it underground. Yeah, and there is a... Um, the, the main actress in it, Clara Bow, uh-huh. is incredible. Yeah, Clara Bow's amazing. She was in a movie called It. Yes. And she was referred to as the It Girl. She was the girl that was in right. It. Hence... Hence the term It Girl, it girl yeah. But she's incredible. For a silent actor, she's just incredible. Yes. So that is going to replace my Friday the 13th series. And already has. Oh, what about A24? I'm still working my way through that. Okay. I watched... uh, How about, oh, I don't know, interacting with your family? (laughs) No. That's why we do podcasts. That's why we do podcasts. (laughs) Shall we, Piamma, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that oh-so-lonely Corey news. Haley Tamadon, who played Andrea Beckett on Corey and Delilah Dingle on Emmerdale, which I included just so I could say Delilah Dingle. Mm-hmm. It's worth repeating. It is. It's a great name. Delilah Dingle. Revealed this week that she's been diagnosed with meningitis and spent the weekend in hospital on a drip. We wish her a speedy recovery because that shit is scary. Right. It was viral meningitis as well. She had to get like a spinal tap and everything oh to get it diagnosed. And ugh. Nasty, nasty stuff. Ugh. Seriously. The world is a very scary place. This is why I stay away from humans. Yep. Kimberly Hart Simpson, formerly our Nikki on the cobbles, has landed a new role working with the charity Direct Line, which focuses on loneliness. Oh. And, and they worked together on a special where people were quizzed on their friends and got dunked in the Thames when they got questions wrong, which that's got to be an environmental hazard. It does. It? it does. Although I think that was the cheeriest I've ever heard the word loneliness be delivered. So <laughs> well done on that. And also by saying Thames instead of Thames. Yeah, it's not called Thames. Right. It's spelled Thames. Mm-hmm. And rivers in America that are named after the Thames are called the Thames. Because I grew up on the Thames River in Connecticut. Don't make people think any less of Americans than they already do. (laughs) I also once lived in in an American town. Oh, we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) Called Versailles. But that's that's for a different time. And finally, Craig Charles, who played Lloyd Mullaney for over 10 years on Corey, disappointed fans when stating he wouldn't return after his Radio 2 show ended because apparently people are like, oh, well, you can get back on Coronation Street now. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, that ship has sailed. That, that ship said. has sailed bullshit. He keeps on going back and doing more Red Dwarf. You ruined my joke for the end, but that's fine. Okay. Because <laughs> there was a Red Dwarf joke coming, but that's fine. Well, do it again. I'll, I'll, I'll no, 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 no. So, all right. It's, it's quite... Because he said that he left Corey because his brother died. And when his brother died, he said to himself, if if I pop my clogs now, would I be proud of my life? Mm-hmm. And he said no. He said that, you know, Coronation Street was too comfortable, which a lot of people say. 
You know, it's it's a steady paycheck. It's comfortable. It's right. not exciting. You know, and I got to hang out with Simon Gregson pretty much every time he was on. Him and Steve in the cab office, right? Kind of doing the whole Tim role, basically, right? And we have Tim now, right? So we don't need Lloyd Mullaney. No, Mullaney, oh. another fun word name to say, and that's Corey News. Oh, I told you it was rubbish this week, and I wasn't wrong. Quiet week, a quiet week, quiet week on Lake Wobegon. and it'll be a quieter week next week because we're going to be doing this early next week. Yes. Yes, so exciting. I just realized that next week is the week right? that we are going to see Echo and the Bunnymen. You may have heard us uh, mention Chris, yes, that one. Yes, that one. Occasionally. Yes. Uh, and certainly long-term listeners will probably remember that. Yes, he was one of our first fans. <laughs> well, he stood in for you when did. you were uh, getting operated upon. Yes, when um, I had my, my surgery. So was, was, that, was that my hernia surgery or was that my cancer surgery? It was... Hernia because it was 2018. Okay. And and yeah, so he stood in for you when you were off getting cut open and, and that so fun stuff. So back together. And, uh, and I was determined that we shouldn't miss a week of the podcast. <laughs> and, um, and so oh, how young we were. He's a, a sound engineer for for real bands. Yes. And Echo and the Bunnymen being one of them. Echo and the Bunnymen. So we're going through to Detroit next Friday to, to see that. And not doing this. No. So we'll be recording early and probably have an episode out on Wednesday. So consider yourself forewarned. Yes. You too. Yes, you too. And now this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. I missed out well podcast for coffee. Uh-oh. It's fine because we don't have any. All right. But if you want to buy us next week's coffee, you can do so by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street. If you think that this podcast is worth more than the 27 pence it took to put on a letter we'll, from beyond the grave. We'll need the coffee to stay up late enough to get to the end of the concert. Right. Because we're old. Anyway, I'm John Oliver. <laughs> and now I'm all completely thrown off. Just enough time to quickly talk about definitely maybe. Possibly not. No, I mean, yes, that's right. This was Abby thinking that there was something up with Eli's dad becoming friends with ITV Stefan. Suspicious? Maybe, thought Kev. <gasps> Definitely maybe, thought Abby. I was Gavin, and you pet a sheep today. I pet a sheep? <laughs> yep. I don't remember petting a sheep. We were recording from sunny Connecticut. Oh, one of my mum's sheep then. Was it? Does mum have sheep? No. No. Oh, I went to the Woodstock Fair. But I didn't go. No, because you hate fairs. So what did I do? I don't know. You slept or goofed off on the internet or hung out with my brother? Probably not. Nope. Um, didn't do that. I can't remember. I can remember vaguely you going to this fair. Anyway, mm-hmm. you pet a sheep. Yes, I did. We drove through a zombie apocalypse to get to Connecticut, especially <laughs> through New York City. We visited the grave of James. I'm not gay, seriously, you guys, Buchanan in Pennsylvania. Yes, we did. We also stopped off at the John Oliver Memorial Sewage Treatment Plant in yes, Danbury, Connecticut, did. named after me, John Oliver. <laughs> Curtis takes another funny turn and becomes frustrated at the random nature of his illness because it doesn't really exist. But we didn't know that at the time. No. Except we did kind of know that at the time. Tyrone and Fizz have to listen to some home truths as Hope has her first therapy session. 
The Undertaker and Todd argue about the proper way to dispose of Pat Phelan's ashes and inadvertently get Eileen involved. With the trial upon her, Nina desperately tries to remember more about the events surrounding the attack. Simon really needs to pipe down. Sabine is sorry, not sorry. And we're done with Tommy O. Our moment of the week was Nina's entrance in court. She was all dressed up in her... Um, uh, with a veil. Yeah, with yeah. a black veil. And our boring moment of the week was Alina checking to see if Tyrone had answered her texts. Which does sound boring. And it that does. was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last, last year. year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning is the art of zombie correspondence. This oh, evening. Did I say? This morning. It's not this morning. <laughs> On Monday, it's summer's 18th and her three gay dads give her a heart attack by jumping out in the flat to surprise her and with the promise of a slap-up lunch at Speeddale later, which is probably where they all had dinner last night. <laughs> At Speedal, Summer is scrimping on her meal as a birthday banana cake is brought out. And then Billy has a very special gift from her. It's a letter from beyond the grave that Drew asked Billy to give her on her 18th. Summer is shocked, grabs the letter and runs out. And she hides in the alleyway of doom contemplating whether to open it, but deciding not to. Hours pass and she gets back to the flat and Billy, fucking genius of the year, realises that the letter has upset Summer somewhat. What? She worries that she's a big fat disappointment to Drew, how she's let him down by cheating on her exams, mishandling her diabetes and having a thing for Daniel. Billy insists that being her guardian has been the privilege of his life and Drew would feel the same. Do you think Drew would feel the same? Do you think he would? I don't think he would be disappointed. Uh... So I don't think these are the sort of things that parents get disappointed in. Would we be she did fuck up her Oxford thing. That's disa- I think we would be disappointed if one of our children became obsessed with one of their teachers romantically. I think we'd be disappointed if our kids did something that they think we'd be disappointed about. <laughs> that sounded deeper in my head. And I mean... We do have a kid who hates taking their meds. But I'm not really disappointed in that. It's just kind of like, ugh, I don't care. Just take it. Right. Yeah, I don't know. What we're better parents than Billy. Well, maybe. <laughs> we make sure our kids take their medication. But then Billy gets a call from the woman at the hospital who confirms that Summer is in fact eligible for the glucose monitor thing. Yay. And when he goes to tell Summer, she's fucking furious at him. Yes, she is. That they went behind her back. And when Aaron turns up, he gets both barrels too, despite bringing her some stolen flowers. Yeah, we get twice this week, somebody says, my body, my choice. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them are talking about abortion. Nope. They're talking about Is being that a good thing? irresponsible with their bodies. So no, it's not a good thing. Okay. She storms out and he chases after her, reminding her that he never said he would lie for her and accuses her of using her insulin to control her weight. Summer's heard enough and tells him to fuck off and they split up for maybe the fourth or fifth time. Who's counting anymore? And Nina's roles, Nina, Amy and Asha present Summer with another cake. I think this one's a carrot one or is it a, another banana one? No, it was a vegan carrot cake. Vegan she carrot gets cake. two very lovely cakes this week and doesn't eat a single fucking slice. And that makes me so angry as a fellow diabetic. She's Summer is in no mood to celebrate with her friends, gets up and leaves and now... They're just left like castles with this cake. Right. And a big, massive pile of birthday presents on the table behind them. Oh, really? Did you see that? Like all the pink bags and stuff. It's like. I just assumed that Sean had left his shopping. Who would be friends with Summer? Honestly. 
Uh-huh. Why? Why would they still be? F- and remember, they went right. Yeah, and then they forgave her, and now I bet they all feel very, very silly. Sheepish, I'd say. Back <laughs> at the flat and on her own, she finally has the courage to open a letter and read it. Then she meets up with Aaron to apologise and shows him the letter, which she reads: "Dear Summer, I'm proud of you." From Dad. Short and to the point. Aaron what? gives her a hug. Was that all? I thought there was more to it than that. I think I've got the just. Because there was something in there that made her realize that she needed to take care of herself and it was more than just, I'm proud of you. Mm. She promises not to mess with her insulin again thanks to her letter from beyond the grave. Later, Billy gets home and apologizes for being thick as shite in the neck of a bottle. She lets him off the hook and decides to go for the glucose monitor thing after all. She lets him read the letter and hopes that her dad will be proud of her and that Billy will be too. We already are, says Billy, moved to tears by the eloquence of Drew's letter. That's as far as we get with that this week. Yes, all three of her living dads are as equally proud of her as her dead dad. Now, I I think we've mocked this storyline on and off recently. Yeah, I think it was good this time. Some lovely scenes in it, though. The scenes between Billy and Summer, particularly, were yes, they were were very nice, were lovely and and very very moving. Yes. I kind of felt like there was a, a a shift in summer on the occasion of her 18th birthday where she seemed to be suddenly a bit more adult in the way that she was talking to Billy and the way that she was describing her feelings to Billy. And it felt like they were having more of a an adult relationship with each other rather than she's a kid and he's a guardian. Right. And I, I don't know if that was deliberate or not, or if, I don't know, maybe Harriet just had a sore throat or something, but it, it sounded like... There was a little change in the way that she was talking and the way that she was... Uh, Let's all remember stuff. that she is actually an adult yes, playing a child. Absolutely. In her mid-twenties, I believe. Yes. Um, yeah, I, it, it feels like we've drawn a line under this a little bit, doesn't it? I mm-hmm. mean, I know we've had this couch talk before and yep. before we were like, oh, thank God. Okay. Billy's going to be a more responsible parent now and actually pay attention to Summer. Right, but now he doesn't need to be because the letter from Beyond the Graves solved it. Well, no, it's made her realize, but also she's going to have a glucose monitor, so that will help. Right. So, and and she can't really toy with that too much. No, now all she has to deal with is her boyfriend getting abused by his dad. Right. So we're just... We're just Are they back chalking together? these off one one by one. Or yeah, did she just so. apologize to him and Well, she and never actually decide. broke up with him this time. She told him to, to go away and he did. And then somehow they met up again and Right. Well, they have these magical things called smartphones now where mm. you can call or text someone or FaceTime them even. Yeah, normally the show doesn't allow the audience to think too much about that sort of thing and no. and has them doesn't require any filling it in. No filling in required like that. Not this week. Or any other way. We also didn't really get any closure on whether they got their hole at the the hotel the previous week. I'm guessing not. It didn't seem like it. Billy seemed to be asking it and then realised what he was asking and backed all all the the way way off off that that thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Much like Aaron. Yes. Wow, wow, wow. 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 Um, Yeah, this, this... Yeah. Even... Even the My Three Dads thing was better this week, I thought. Mm. Because they openly acknowledged it, which was nice. Mm. And it is good that they ha- she has them. It would be nice 
And maybe eventually as she continues to work there, Carla will be this for her. But it would be nice if she had a woman she could speak to every once in a while about some of these things. Right. You know, the way Asha has Mary. Yeah. Um, you know, not that she needs a mother, but there, there are times, especially when she's thinking about becoming sexually active, that you kind of wish that she had an older woman to speak to I on some of these Carla things. I don't think Carla wants to hear any of that shit. Well, no, but Carla has a soft side. And Carla's really the only woman that she interacts with, really. Oh, God help her then. Cause very much. I don't think they'll have a very strong relationship at all. Well, no. They don't have much of a relationship. With anybody. No. I've got pals. Right. But even that's tenuous. Because they've only just forgiven her she for the way really she treated be, Addy. She should be latching on to one of her pals' mums. Now, that can't be Asha. And it um, isn't going to be Amy. And and Nina also does not have a mother. There are not enough mothers on this show. No. This is the problem. Right. All of those girls, except for Amy, have no mother. Some and Amy has Tracy. To, right. Some would be going to Tracy with her problems. And Tracy don't give no shit about no. any of that stuff. No, and yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, moving on to our next storyline tonight is Bernie's evil twin. <laughs> on Monday at the Quad House, Bernie is keen to drag Chesney back to the shop that she was at last week to speak to the assistant to prove her innocence. But it's a bank holiday, and Ches, Gemma, and the kids are fucking off to the beach. Was it really a bank holiday? Yeah, it's August bank holiday, the last Monday in August. Oh, we have Labor Day this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. The first Monday in September. Yes. Essentially the same thing. Right. Only we don't call them bank holidays. We call them federal holidays. And the banks Sometimes. are closed, so they're essentially bank holidays. I'm glad we got that sorted out. <laughs> Later in Nina's roles, Paul is looking for somewhere in another storyline, but doesn't miss the opportunity to accuse Bernie of stealing that honking blazer from last week. I am neither a thief nor a prostitute, shouts Bernie. And she's at the kebab house when she sees her evil twin go off the bus and head to her house. Bernie gives chase and discovers that Evil Twin is returning the school uniform. It was, look, it was just an honest mistake. Evil Twin apologises for going off the deep end last week and has a proposal to make to Bernie, taking yes. advantage of their looky-likiness. Mm. I'm not shagging your husband, insists Bernie, but Evil Twin <laughs> wants something more from Bernie, and that is to pretend to be her and sit through a speed awareness education class for her while she goes to the races. Which is a lot more boring than sleeping with her husband. Bernie which knocks it be- back. A much better storyline. Bernie knocks him back, even though it's 200 quid for a couple of hours' work. Right. She's like, my family already think I'm a criminal. I'm not going to prove it to them. And later, Bernie has managed to convince Gemma and Ches of her innocence, and Ches apologises. Gemma is just glad that there aren't really two versions of her mom. And Bernie says to her about this proposal that she's had that she's not going to take up, but she doesn't give them any more information, which makes me think it's just a matter of time before she does this. Yes, before she changes her mind. Correct. Yeah. So That's this woman likes to go to the races then. And likes are, to... Are there any tracks nearby Manchester? Horse racing tracks? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there'd be dozens, I would have thought. Hmm. We don't have nearly that many here in America. That or Greyhound. I think Greyhound racing is illegal now. I used to, uh, There used to be a Greyhound racing track near where I lived growing up in Connecticut. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, it's a good day at the races. So very drunk. So very, very, very drunk. You don't like horses. I didn't go to watch the horses. I went to drink 
And I did that incredibly well. Yes, but in close proximity to no, horses. No, not really. <laughs> in a bar, in a horse racing place. There were horses outside. That was better. Yeah, really for outside. me, if we wanted to bet on the horses, we had to go to the casino. And then they'd have like the big massive TVs. Where you can't you even bet. bet at the track. There are no tracks. Well, there must be tracks because there's the Kentucky Derby is the thing. Right, yeah, but Kentucky and Connecticut. But you can't bet there? You surely must be able to oh, bet. Oh, yeah, yeah. At but, the if, track. but if you live in Connecticut, you're not driving yeah, to but Kentucky. But not everybody in America lives in Connecticut. No. Us, for example, or don't Kentucky. live in Connecticut. Right. So, yeah, it seems to be less of a thing because people are becoming more aware of how it's bad for the horses. Oh, I don't think anybody really cares about that in the UK. I think some people do, like about the Grand National. But because yeah. that is kind of barbaric, but beyond that, I'm not sure it's high on anybody's agenda. Yeah, especially not yours because you hate no, horses. No, I hate horses anyway. All right. No, oh, we haven't talked about this at all. We've talked about horses. <laughs> so Bernie was pretty funny. She was. She was. It was good. I liked it. I liked that that woman was wearing that blue blazer still. Mm-hmm. It's like with a shirt that didn't really go. They do look alike. They do. Apparently, she has been mistaken for her in real life, and which may be which why one? this storyline for which one? Uh the other one has been mistaken for Jane. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Gabrielle Glaster, who again was Bob from from Blackadder. Yes. I didn't really notice that they, that they looked anything like each other because in my mind she's Bob from Blackadder or right. she's Debs. So in my mind she's twenty years younger. Right. Um, yeah, but yeah, the 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 like the likeness of the two of them is. I bet when they realise this, the, mm-hmm. the the writers it practically writes itself, doesn't exactly, it? Right. So, I had in my head that this was going to be some kind of Pygmalion story, but I think Pygmalion's the wrong word. It's a kind of Freaky Friday sort of thing, isn't it? Right. Yeah, because Pygmalion's my fair lady. Right. There, there were no twins in no my twins fair lady. In I was thinking no. there is something like that. Like um, the prince and the pauper. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, where they switch places because they look alike. Yeah, so I think we're setting it up here for a little bit of um, conniving and uh, subterfuge here. Yeah, and I'm all for it. I mean, I've I've read some some disparaging remarks about it. It's a stupid storyline. I think all storylines are kind of stupid when you look at them too closely. But I thought this is pretty funny. Yeah. And if it gets us more Bernie, then... We need a stupid storyline every once in a while. And Bernie gets a storyline that has nothing really to do with the quads or yeah. Gemma. Right. There's there's only so much misery we can take. Right. So it's nice to just... Even if it's just like a, like a little goofy one-off, that's fine. It's like all these people up in arms because of the mid-credits scene in the last episode of She-Hulk where she's twerking with Megan Thee Stallion. It's like, it's fine. It's fun. She's twerking. It's okay for a superhero to twerk, for women to have fun and dance. We've watched two Deadpool movies, and I didn't hear any of y'all complaining about Deadpool sticking his ass out. But anyway. Mm-hmm. That does sound kind of stupid. Our next yeah, storyline is Canadians behaving badly, which we have a little bit of Hulk stuff going on in this as stupid well. Stupid things are fun. On Monday, Adam meets Sarah Nina Rose to listen to her business proposal about the offshoot knicker company thing. Adam has been speaking to Carla about all this, unbeknownst to Sarah. Yeah, seriously, Adam, what are you doing, man? And says that she doesn't think the idea is going to fly. And surprisingly, this doesn't convince Sarah. No. Instead, she gets furious that she doesn't have his back and then she storms out. 
But they didn't have much to write for this storyline, so she storms back in again, and Adam's still in Nina's roles, and this time she's been to the bank looking for the loan, and the bank, they say no. The way business has been going at the law office since Simran died, Adam says he can't afford to put money in himself, otherwise he would. Right, because and he, because he's sitting in Nina's roles all day. Right. And plus, he said the wrong thing earlier, so now he's doubly sure to say the right thing now. Later, in the Rovers, Sarah explains all this to Stephen, and he says business isn't for the faint of heart and these people willing to take a risk, so she promises to do just that. On Wednesday, it's Audrey's big day and everyone is super excited about the opening of the salon, although David does point out that Stephen's nickname should be One Suit because it's about to crawl away on its own, and right enough, he's been wearing that suit for quite some time. Yes. He had the kind of tan jacket that he wore when he came back and he wore that for the longest time and when he's not wearing that he's wearing this suit so it seems like he has two changes of clothes yeah that's gonna get smelly and could yeah yeah this is especially the amount of whiskey that he mm. drinks yeah that's like a sure sign isn't it that somebody is not who they seem if if they're just wear if they're if they're talking a big game but they only seem to have one change of clothing. Yeah, if you're talking a big game and you're a big businessman, I think you make a point of wearing many suits. Right. So people's oh, I wonder what suit he's going to wear today. Or at least change your tie every once in a while. Right. Maybe turn your underpants inside out. That can. Oh, uh, that's yeah. That's the thing. Is he only got one pair of undercrackers as well? Maybe that's why he's interested in the knicker factory. <laughs> Audrey gets the biggest surprise when she sees all her friends are waiting for her at the salon and they've set up tables of snacks and sausage rolls. There's been a big hole in the street since you hung up your scissors, says Rita. But then David points out that they got that filled in months ago. (laughs) Roy welcomes her back officially to a rousing round of applause. And a cup of tea. Privately, Audrey reveals to Rita, Roy and Ken and to Brian, who's oddly hanging around like a bad smell, (laughs) that she hasn't told Gail about that time she tried to kill herself. Brian immediately rushes off to tell Kathy, but then he remembers that she left him. So he just stays put and quietly cries. It's like the show remembered that Brian is still there. Yeah. And used him in one scene briefly. He gets a name check later, I think. Then Ken produces a massive pair of scissors from yes, his inside does. jacket pocket. And with a speech worthy of Churchill himself, Audrey thanks her wonderful friends and family for helping her through a hard time. She snips Ken's ribbon. But not like that. And declares her own salon. Reopened again. What does that even mean? Huzzah! I don't know, but I left a gap for you to say it. And you filled that gap. <laughs> but not like that. Nature abhors a vacuum. <laughs> Do you think those scissors were poking Ken all day long? No, it seemed pocket? to get a big reaction from the crowd. Like, the scissors. Was it because of the size of them or because they were kind of golden and shiny? Or was or it both? both? Right. Where does he say? Like he has a friend who was like a car salesman or something? I had a friend who worked at the Gazette and any time they opened stuff, he would be there with a big pair of scissors to, to cut the ribbon so it would show up in the <laughs> in the photograph. Ken's chuckling an awful lot. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Ken just chuckles quite a bit. Ha, ha, ha. Ken's doing an awful lot of that. Keep an eye on it. Hmm. At the back of the crowd, Stephen asks Adam if Audrey has signed the paperwork. Not yet, says Adam. You should chase her up, says Stephen. Chase her up yourself, you lazy shitbag, says Adam, and he yes. wanders away, muttering something uncharitable under his breath about lazy fucking Canadians. Right. Eh? Eh? Yeah. 
So Stephen finds Audrey in the salon and carefully brings up the subject to the trust paperwork, blaming Adam for being a bit anxious about it, which certainly wasn't the case. No. Audrey reveals that now she has this new lease of life, she has no intention whatsoever of signing any of his stupid paperwork. Yay! As far as she's concerned, he can shove it up his arse. Right up, up his, his arse! arse. Back at number eight, Audrey's a bit flustered from her conversation with Stephen and she goes to speak to Gail and admits to Gail that she's been guilty of not counting her blessings recently and that a few weeks ago she tried to kill herself. Gail is stunned, thinking she's been walking around with her eyes shut and missing the signs. Audrey blames Gail's fringe. The rest of the family comes in and she explains to them all that she had reached a point where she had thought that she was a nuisance to everyone, that there was no point to her life. But they've all been so kind to her recently, she's realised that she was just depressed and nothing could be further from her mind now. Sarah and even David are lovely and understanding. Sarah even says that when we come to see you, we're just, we are genuinely here to see you. Not, right. Through no sense of duty or anything like that. Right. But that's not it. She's decided to live whatever life she has uh, left to the fullest so there'll be no trust fund anymore she's going to write a bog standard will and everyone will get a fair share except you Stephen because you don't need it right Stephen announces that he's vibrating and he quickly leaves and and David blames some scotch eggs right. for those vibrations so Stephen goes to the back of the knicker factory and kicks fuck out with some bins throws some pipes screams to the heavens <laughs> and then paps his pants a wee bit pipes that bounce well, pipes do bounce. Empty plastic pipes, I guess. <laughs> that took me by surprise, that scene. Really? You didn't... You were expecting that. Well, I was because I watched it tonight and I'd already seen the memes oh, all right, week long. Right, right. So. Yeah. But... I yeah. think it's been described as that scene. Right. From this week's Coronation Street. Right. Yeah. I. We know that he is desperate. We know that he doesn't have any money we know that he's been lying and been a sneaky oily bastard right. this whole time so it wasn't really that surprising even with the memes um that he would re that he would overreact in private somewhere no i think it's the extent of that overreaction why you tried to throw a pipe like a javelin and why you kind of spun around with a bin and tried to throw it like a hammer it seemed like he was going through the decathlon events well, I mean, they he, had the bins he, he available. Didn't, he didn't pull vault on the roof of the uh, the factory, thankfully, no. because that roof is as dangerous as runnable, I test it. They dedicated an awful lot of time to it, I think is it, what really it, surprised it me. It did go on a bit too long, I will give you that. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't surprised at his anger and his overreaction. Was it amusing to you or were you scared of Stephen? No, I was not scared. And I also was not amused. Just stony-faced watching this unfold. <laughs> Which is kind of how I watch Coronation Street. <laughs> it helps, I think, to do it like that. And again, I think because I had seen the scene memed so much before I actually saw it. You're welcome. I, I can't, and not just by you. No. But um, it just, when it happened, I was like, oh, here's the scene. Okay, that was a bit too long, but eh. Fair enough. I'm glad he took his anger out on bins. Right. Let's just put it that way. He took it out on the because recycling. I don't think he is beyond harming someone. No, and I think this is interesting. Part of it is that this kind of demonstrates his violent temper. Because even if it was kind of overdone and overblown a little bit, it was a violent reaction. Yes. 
so he, without a doubt now he was trying to scam Audrey yes, absolutely. without a doubt he was seizing on an opportunity to right and seemingly try and seemingly trying to scam Sarah which I think will continue right after he's done, he goes back and speaks to Shona, who spots that his jacket's now burst at the seams. This is all I fucking need, he says. So he goes off to the only place that he can afford now, the local charity shop, where he picks up a dead man's suit jacket and shirt for 20 quid. And it's an outfit that rumour has it we may have already seen. Because it's kind of implied because the the woman there says that the widow brought a whole a whole bunch of trash bags in full of this man's clothes. Right. That these are Imran's. However... That was like a month ago that Toya brought those clothes in. A while back, yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't still be in bags. They would have been put out by now. Oh, but she brought them in in bags. Right. Because he picked the suit up off the, right, the rack. Right, but the woman seemed to indicate that they had more of this person's clothing in the back. And that wouldn't be the case at this point. It would oh. all be out. I don't think that's a thing. But I wonder if the... I wonder if the suit being Imran's is a thing. It's not a suit that I can find evidence of him wearing. Right. And you were the type of person to look. And I did. Yes. I spent quite a bit of time looking. And then you superimposed Stephen's head onto the only suit that we that really, is really know. It's a little is number, right? Yes. I can't find them with a pinstripe number, but if, be, if it had been that, then we would have known. But if we'd right. known it, then maybe that takes some of the mystery away from it. Right. Because the reasons for him having Imran's suit. I think are quite interesting because it allows Toya to say, wait a minute, that's Imran's suit. Right. But it's such a basic suit, although it is pinstriped and David will mock it later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I think the jury's out on that one. Hmm. Back at the salon, Gail has a whispery heart-to-heart with Audrey. Audrey apologises for the shock, but points out that life doesn't get easier the older you get. Ain't the other truth. And she's just as fallible as anyone else. She recognises she's not been the best mom in the world. You're my mom, says Gail. That's right, says Audrey. Not the best, ma'am. <laughs> and Gail, no, Gail is quite sweet with her and says, you yeah. know, you may not have been great in the beginning, but you you did grow up and you well, are two a good mum now. Well, the two of them are like friends now. They're, right. they're great friends now as opposed to... No, well, are they great friends? Well, from time to time, they're great friends. In the base row, David is now ripping the piss out of Stephen's new dead man suit, worried that Al Capone will be along to pick it up any minute. Stephen says that he fancied a change and took a risk because... What does he have to lose? On Friday in the Rover, Sarah's explained to Stephen her inability to invest, so Stephen decides to make a pitch to Carla, which puts Sarah's nose out of joint a little bit, but he says he's just laying the groundwork to make a swoop on Carla and the fancy new range of Y-fronts. I didn't really understand any of that. There's a scene in another storyline where Carla's talking to Toy about Nadim, whatever his last name is, and Sarah comes in and catches wind of the name and is shocked to hear that Carla's setting up business meetings with a guy without consulting her. And she shouldn't be shocked because she knows that Carla doesn't rear. So why would Carla get her involved in it? Well, Carla seems to imply that the deal is already done. Right. And I think that's the part that bothers Sarah. Not that this person is coming in for a meeting, but that it seems like the deal is already done. Yeah. Yeah. But why would Carla involve Sarah? She should. She doesn't rear, though. She doesn't think she'll add anything to it. So. No, but she should at least say something, one would think. But she but doesn't. Out of, out of politeness, probably. Right, yeah. At the end of the day, Carla asks Sarah if she wants to go over the, the Nadine deal, but Sarah knocks her back because it's already in the bag. So yourself, says Carla, and she leaves her to it. And outside the factory, Sarah leaves a message for Stephen to warn him about the deal from another storyline and how that's going to affect their Y-Fronts plans. 
because I think the thinking now is that the factory will become overwhelmed by this new deal and there won't be any scope left for uh, Sarah's brand new ideas for right. for fancy liquors. Line, yeah. right. And that's as far as that goes. So Audrey's uh, confession, if you like, to her family about, about the events of a few weeks ago and, and they're trying to take an overdose. How do you think that went? I thought it was pretty well done. It was, it was a shame that more of the family couldn't be there. It was a shame that Shona wasn't there. And it was a shame that Nick has a cold. Right. Which, miraculously, he's better, like, two On days later. And Leanne has to look after him. Right. And he's cold. He's cold. Oh, my God. Oh. Shona has, is visibly pregnant now. Is she? Yeah. Is she pregnant again? Yeah. I think that was in Corey News. Not this week, clearly, because that would be a good bit of Corey News. I don't remember her being... Yeah, she is. She's the most... No, 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 no. Fizz was the most recent pregnancy. She's wearing very baggy tops and she's got cushions in front of her and... Hiding behind counters. Or David. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh. Wow. Yeah, no, I hadn't... I hadn't read anything. No, you'll notice it when you see it. Hmm. Next time you see it. There was a scene, uh, particularly this week, she had a, a quite a, a baggy a baggy top on and it, it seemed to catch the front of her belly a little bit. I don't know when she's stupid, she can't have that far to go. Huh. It must have been a while then that we talked about it on Corey News. You'd think I'd remember that. But anyway. Yeah. And yeah, I mean. Yeah, because Shona's kind of dealt with separately. Right. On and, her own. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I thought they did a lovely job of it. Yeah. And they and probably liked, couldn't, you know, could only have a certain amount of people in the room, although well, it that seems pack, to be. It was quite a packed yeah, room. At, yeah. At the the time. rooms seem to become more and more packed. And we're starting to once again have these really nice scenes. I really like the scenes that kind of overlap from one storyline to another. Uh, they're the bane of my life. I love them. Mm hmm. I, I can understand why it would make it difficult to do notes. It, it does. But, it's, it's almost like the writers don't think about people writing notes and what they write. But but it's it happens so seamlessly and it would make and make sense that other people would be in Nina's roles at the same time. Yeah, and and even within the same scene, there's a, a scene on Friday where Stephen and Sarah talk about two completely different things at the same booth at the same time. Right. Half the conversation is about one thing, the other half of the conversation is about something else. Right. Which again, the bane of my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like to. Yeah, I, I like David's I, reaction and yeah. Sarah's reaction were, yes. were, were, were very good, and David taking it seriously, right? And just and not making jokes at that point, right? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was. I thought yeah, it was I thought really it was well really, really well done, and you know, I like that she told Gail first. Yeah, and Gail's reaction was really believable, and yeah, and. And heartwarming as well. Right. And trying to make sense of it and trying to take ownership of it. And, and the way Audrey's like, no, this is, you, do not blame yourself. This is not your fault. And that was really big of Audrey because a couple of weeks ago, she would be blaming all of this on Gail. Right. Well, what I liked was that nobody was blaming Audrey for it. They were kind of no. blaming themselves for yeah. things that they'd missed. And Right. But nobody was saying, Why, how could you be so stupid? Or, or selfish. Right. And the, 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 what, that wasn't the conversation they were having. I think yeah. that was probably quite wise. Yeah, that was very lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was good stuff. Good stuff. 
Moving on then, just a few scenes in our next storyline is Dylan Goes Electric. In Streetcars, Sean has some problems to talk to Eileen about. Dylan is refusing to go back to that London, and he's also spoken to Violet, and Dylan's claims of being bullied at school seem to be pretty wide of the mark. He's also deliberately missed his train back. I would imagine that costs quite a bit of money. A train from Manchester to London? Probably pretty expensive. Really? <laughs> yep. Huh. I imagine I imagine public transportation being cheap in the UK for some reason. See that noise? That's everyone in Britain who's listened to this laughing. <laughs> Do you hear it? Oh, I hear it really bad. I don't. Carries on the wind. <laughs> you always, when we're in the UK, you're the one who's paying for train tickets and stuff, so I don't know. In, in Scotland, it's not so bad, but getting into London. Oh, well, yeah, I can imagine that being ridiculous. Yeah, it's like. And it's probably been up somewhat in the last 10 years. Yeah. I, you know, Sean takes an awful lot of what Violet says at face value. But if she hasn't been around much and if Dylan hasn't been speaking to her about these things, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't use what Violet has heard from Dylan as proof that Dylan has not been bullied. Because we have kids and sometimes they tell you stuff and they don't tell me. And sometimes they tell me stuff and they don't tell you. Most of the time, nobody tells me anything. But there have been times that you tell me something and you assume that I know it already. And I'm like, what? (laughs) From this, though, this is four scenes basically to get Dylan on the show permanently. Right. Yes. So they'll make up any old shit. Right. So Sean and Dylan have an honest chat and Dylan admits that he would prefer to live with Sean and Weatherfield full time. So Sean promises to speak with Violet and run the idea by her. So he does this, but we don't see it. <coughs> and uh, and he checks with Lawrence to make sure that he's okay with Sean being a full time dad. And he is. And then back at Eileen, Sean gives Dylan the good news that Violet has given the green light to her son living in Weatherfield. Eileen is oddly calm about another permanent head under a roof, but Dylan is made up, as is Max. Yes. So that was an interesting little choice there that Max is quite pleased about this. Yeah, it's good. It's good that Max has an, a boy to hang out with. Because Max doesn't really hang out with Addie or Simon. Hmm. Where is Simon? And it did, it, it did make me wonder if maybe Max and Dylan are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember, Liam was at that birthday party too. Yeah, but he didn't, he didn't come to the house to no. celebrate. No, this time it was just Max. Yeah. Which is fine. You know, maybe there's a... They're both blonde. You know. Blonde boys have and to And years to come, Dylan can come back with a different character name and pretend to be Max to get out of a speeding ticket. <laughs> yeah, nothing much more about that. Does this mean... That, well, this would mean that... And the show does not address this, because of course they didn't. But this would mean that Sean no longer has to pay Violet child support. You'd think it'd be the other way around. Right. Now Sean would be getting the child support, which makes sense because Violet has more money than Sean. Yeah. Which makes it... I think Dylan has more money than Sean. Really weird that Dylan would prefer to live in Manchester than in a big mahoosive house. This this is is me thinking about why he's so keen to live in a terraced house in Manchester rather than... The big smoke in London, and that, I wonder if there is something 
Maybe not with Max, but there's something going on that's involving Max in some way. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, you know, you can't just. Max ass- is there for a reason, and you- I'm trying to think of what that reason was, other than just being there as a supportive friend, because that isn't Max's character. Well, we don't know what Max is like with other boys. We rarely see Max with other boys, mm. but um, you know, we cannot just assume that the child of a gay person is also gay. No, I'm, I'm not basing it on that at all. But I've had thoughts about max in the past with his right, attempted yes. drugging off daniel we, right. we kind of skirted around about that we, as well we have maybe and i pray that this happens this means that everybody's going to move into the undertaker's house instead because nah. eileen's house is bursting at the seams no chance eileen and will take 10 more heads under that house before they move anywhere else and, and, I, and I wondered if the, the, the phrasing of the stuff to violet was Oh no, he's not getting bullied because you're gay. Because remember, he was getting bullied because apparently people were bullying him because of Sean being gay. That was the first time he came back. Right, yeah. You're not letting this go, are you? Well, I I don't know. It's starting to add up to to be slightly questionable hmm. of whether there's something going on that's just more than, all right, we like Dylan as a character, so he needs to stay. Well, they need more boys on the show. Because, again, Max. Oh, you mean the last boys? Addie. One would imagine Simon is around here somewhere. And that's it as far as teenage boys are concerned. I guess Liam is like, what, 12? And what's his name? Looks 15, but is 10. Jackson is early 30s now. (laughs) All right, moving on to the dusty contents of Addie's wallet. Not anymore. On Monday, Kelly drops in to see Addy and lets him know that their interview with the Gazette is going online next week sometime. He points out that this means everyone will know that they're engaged. They're getting up to no good on the couch when Dev comes in, which is funny as fuck. You missed a part. You missed the best part of this story, where Bernie is in the house vacuuming and Addy says, you have to do this now. And she's like, I have to go to work later. And then she puts her earbuds in and then Kelly comes in and Kelly gets all worried about bernie overhearing this stuff and he says oh don't worry about it she's got her airpods in she can't hear anything That's a short and, he shouts, and he shouts at bernie hey kelly and i are going upstairs to have sex now okay now we've, now we've covered that and that was funny yeah i, I attempted to for the, in the interest of time and then bernie that. takes her airpods out and says what and, and then what happens helen then Addie says something about boiling eggs now which doesn't make any sense but Bernie accepts it. Then what harms? Then they go upstairs and have sex. Then what harms? <laughs> then they come back downstairs and canoodle on the couch instead mm-hmm. of his room, which is weird. Right. Then what harms? Dev walks in. Then what harms? Dev freaks out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, this is easy. Anymore? <laughs> no, you go on. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, yeah, Dev comes home, Addy falls on the floor, and quick, Kelly quickly adjusts her skirt. And uh, her top, because yeah, it's her top that's like halfway off. Dev is shocked that the two of them are now going together. He still doesn't like Kelly. Addy is about to tell Dev about the engagement, but after Kelly has a fit of coughing, he pivots and starts to talk about the repairs to the car. Privately, Kelly suggests getting the family together for a meal and let them get used to them being a couple, because getting families together for a meal always works. Right, yes. So, so Addy, that, that's where... That has successfully worked for other couples in the past. Addy books a bistro for tonight because Summer has speed dial. Right. And also because this is where 
couples go to get their families together. In the shop, they invite Dev to the bistro, but Dev is dead suspicious of why they would want him there and why Gary and Maria are also invited. So Dev decides to be an asshole and say that he's too busy. Kelly points out how important this is and hopes that he'll change his mind. Addy points out that he loves Kelly. Dev poo-poos this, saying that they've only known each other five minutes. So Addy storms out, threatening to move out. Right, and Evelyn gives Dev a hard time about being a hard-ass as a dad. And that was the next thing that I was going to say, so Dev decides to go to the meal after all. At the bistro before the meal, Addy and Kelly are meeting with the journalist woman. I think it's Ellie, I could be wrong. She needs to see their passports to confirm that they're over 18. Uh, Yeah, about that, says Addy, and he asks if they can give them some leeway, as they'll be 18 very soon. The journalist is happy to ignore the newspaper's terms and conditions, so long as they send her their parents' written permission by close of play today. Dev, Asha and Nina turn up for the meal, quickly followed by Gary. Dev has already been a bit of an asshole again when the furious Maria shows up. She's read a wedding Gazette article online. She loves that Gazette online. Yes, she does. And it turns out that Addy and Kelly have entered a honeymoon competition. The article has been posted early and these two lovebirds are secretly engaged. What? Addy explains how it started off as a joke but confirms that they are indeed engaged to love each other and they are to be married. Over my dead fucking body, says Dev. They're kids, and they've only known each other for five minutes, plus the number of minutes since the last time he said five minutes. He knows the law, and he cannot get married without his consent, which he doesn't give. And even Maria seems to agree with us. Nina believes that they love each other, but they don't need a certificate to prove that. And Maria agrees with that, too. Do you think think Addy and Kelly, who are paying for this meal, let's remember, appreciated the fact that Asha decided to bring her girlfriend... Just because? I mean, she's a cheap date. She's vegan. Right. But still. And she's there for uh, moral support. Right. Yeah. It's like, maybe tell us first before, you know, walking in. Don't get me wrong. I love that we get so much Nina this week. More Nina, please. And she's not too weird this time. No. Asha, who hasn't had anything to say, announces to the table that it was actually Kelly who crashed the car. And that does it for Dave. He's out. He calls Kelly a liability and he stomps away. Addy chasing after him. Yes. Well, that, well, that went well, says Kelly. Kelly, who, let's remember, Dev invited into his home to live with him. Yeah, but then quickly chucked out again. Right. But he acts like Addy just met her. And it's like, it was because of Addy that you let her into the house to begin with. Now it's quieter. Gary is also of the opinion that they should wait. Kelly says that she's finally found someone to make her happy. And it blows up. Foreshadowing much? She worries what Addy is putting up with from Dave at home. Gary says he'll go around and have a word with the D-man. So he does, and he finds Dave and Addy in full argument mode, and we get to see Gary in Dev's house, which is weird. <laughs> Dev suggests that Gary is only being cool about this because it lets him palm off problem child onto someone else. Fuck you, Dev. Addy has heard enough and goes to storm out. Dev tries to stop him, and in doing so, accidentally bloodies Addy's nose. And that really does it for Addy, who promises never to return. I will never darken this door again. So with jam all over his face, he goes to the rose gold flat where Kelly says that he can stay. Dev comes up and apologises and asks Addy to come home. Addy refuses and tells Dev to suck on his big old hairy balls. (laughs) And we get to see Dev in the rose gold flat, which is weird. Right. Later, Gary and Maria come home and Kelly announces the new living arrangements. Maria whistles a tune to herself while Gary mumbles that it's fine, everything here is fine. Privately, Maria worries that Gary's been soft about this because of his guilt. Gary admits that there's probably something to that, but his reaction is still better than Dev's, so, you know. 
Kelly and Addy retire to Nina's roles where Kelly has some news for him about getting married. The laws are different in Scotland, she says, and she suggests they'll open to Gretna Green. And once Kelly has explained to Addy what Gretna Green is and what Scotland is, Addy agrees. <laughs> I do, he says. Is this true? Yeah. You could get married at 16 without your parents' permission. In Scotland? In Scotland. So people would elope to Gretna Green, which is just right north over the of the border. And they've got this... Uh, I think it was the old blacksmith's uh-huh. shop where traditionally you would get married over a blacksmith's anvil and they would, I don't know, hammer out the ring or something like that, but not like that. And that's where couples would go to to, to get It's kind of like married. Las Vegas then. No, it's not anything like Las Vegas. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in being a place where you can get married cheaply and easily. I don't know if it's cheap, but it's different. And it's easy. And I think it's probably quite expensive because they make a big deal of getting married at Gretna. Huh. So there you go. There you go. On Wednesday at the Rose Gold Flat, Addy still hasn't wiped the jam off his nose as he complains to Kelly about Dev. He can't wait to get to Gretna Green now that he's found it on the map and get married once and for all to Kelly. Meanwhile, Addy finds Dev taking his frustrations out on canned vegetables with a pricing gun. Do people still use a pricing gun? He moans about how everything that he's ever done was for his kids, like that time he shagged Bernie, or dressed up as a naked Caesar for the Scuddy calendar. Everything or, was for the kids. Or forgot Addy in the car. And, <laughs> everything. and took far too long taking Asha out of the car before the car burst into flames. Everything was for the kids. Asha offers to go and speak with Addy to try and mend some bridges here. So she goes to the Rose Gold flat and talks to Addy, explaining that Dev loves him and is terrified that he's going to lose him. Kelly just wants to start again and tells Addy to go and speak to his fucking dad, pointing out that at least he has one parent who gives a shit about him. So Addy goes to the shop... Which is really unfair to Gary and Maria. And they kind of make up. Addy returning the engagement ring that he now knows that he shouldn't have taken and that Sunita would have wanted Asha to have it. They're cool, but Addy announces that he'll be staying at Gary's for the time being. Asha smiles because she's been a wonderful daughter and sister today, much better than yesterday when she was an absolute cow. Back at the Rose Gold Flat. Most days when she's an absolute cow. Kelly has been doing some investigating on the internet and has written an email to Gretna Green, very much in the style of Drew from a different storyline. <laughs> she's asking to make a reservation to get married, and so the two of them send the email together and then collapse into each other's giggling arms. Aww. That's as far as we get with that this week. They're so cute. It was lovely again, wasn't it? It was cute. I love I love the two of them. To they bet. are they are channeling friends so much with the storyline though. Kelly's reaction to she's like, well, maybe I should go and uh, and Addy says, no, just just you wait. And so, okay then. And that's totally Jennifer Aniston. That's a scene from Friends, I'm sure. And that, that, there's no issue with that. It's just, I think that's where the inspiration for this kind of comedic, a little bit, relationship right. is, is yeah. coming from. And it's lovely. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm so concerned because the last time we had a lovely young couple who were really cute and had great chemistry. It was yeah. Nina and Seb. One of them got kicked to death. Yes. Nobody's allowed to be happy on this show for very long. No. Unless unless they rarely show up in a show in the same scene. And then they are allowed to be a happy couple. Decisions have been made, Renda, but that's that nobody's about to go back on. But right. if the concern was that when people are happy and together... If American sitcoms have taught us nothing else, then once people are together and happy, that's kind of where everything kind of grinds to a halt a little bit. Like, uh, Friends was never the same after 
Chandler and Monica got together, arguably. Well, that was towards the end of the show anyway. Frasier the same with Niles and Daphne. You know, there are examples well, yeah. where, what do you call it, um, Big Bang Theory been another one. But I think when you've got a couple who are as young as Addie and Kelly are, having those two starting off married life together, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's full of potential and it's full of drama. And they should mm-hmm. allow... They should allow the, they should allow a relationship like this to develop, and nobody needs to be kicked to death. Right, and again, you know, just because you're happily married doesn't necessarily mean that there's no drama. I think this is like an issue with all of this. You know, the implication that it's boring because oh well, somebody has to have an affair then. Somebody has to be unfaithful then. There's yeah. there are lots of sitcoms with happily married moms and dads. You know, and yes. Typically, the dad is goofy or lazy or something, or their or, mom is irritating. Or Homer Simpson. Well, goofy and lazy. Right. Or it's like everybody loves Raymond, and it's the mother-in-law that's the problem. Because ha ha ha, mother-in-laws, am I right? No, it's, the mother-in-law's not the problem. Everybody loves Raymond. Everybody's the problem, and everybody <laughs> loves Raymond. They're all awful people. Well, that's true. Ah, uh, Robert. No. Ah. <clears throat> Just don't, don't Ra- try. Ra- Every time you try, Robert, to Robert, do, Robert, do Robert instead. I can't do Robert. <laughs> <laughs> That's so much better than your Ray Romano. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing's as good as my Jagger at the moment. Oh, debatable. So but, yeah, you know I. I'm really enjoying the storyline. I'm I'm dreading it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 funny because you know when things are nice, you you dread them. You're like, oh god, when is the other shoe going to drop? Exactly. I I remember I I watched this movie with Adam Driver in it earlier this year called Patterson, and like the whole movie, I'm so concerned that the other shoe is going to drop that I'm filled with dread the whole movie and yet the whole movie is just lovely and just a lovely slice of small town America li- American life. Spoiler. <laughs> it's Nothing still, comes. It's still, I mean, things happen, but they're nice things. You know, you can make an interesting movie where only nice things happen. Mm. It's possible. Come but, back to this though. But uh, yeah, getting back to this, it's, uh, you know, it's anxiety-inducing when things are so nice, but it's a, it's, I love it. It's another another aspect of Dev's difficult relationship with his son. Right, because Addie, Addie does mention that, you know, when Asha and Nina got together, how supportive Dev was of that relationship and right. how, you know, he had no problem with Nina staying over sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know. Forgetting, of course, that Dev had a big mahusive problem, and rightly so, with Corey. But still, you know, it, it's like... Not at the start, he didn't. He saw that as being a business opportunity. Right, yeah, he wanted to golf with the kid. Mm-hmm. So Addie has a point. Yeah. A- and it is still kind of sad. And the whole ring thing, saying, oh, mom would have wanted Asha to have this... I would think that your mom would want you to have it because you're the one who's going to be proposing to someone. Although, you know, know, if Asha continues to only date women, 
then maybe she would be the one proposing at some point. It more just felt like a nice thing for Addy to concede. He'd, he'd taken the ring without asking anybody. Right. He'd given it to somebody without saying that that's what he was right. intending to do. It was, a, it was a nice gesture to give it back. I guess him. so. But still, it, it, felt, it felt even more of him separating from his family and being less than Asha. This whole Gretna thing, though, reminds me of EastEnders and reminds me of EastEnders from maybe the 90s when Ricky Butcher and Sam ran away to Gretna Green. Yeah. It makes me wonder if, if this is going to happen, if this is part of the whole Kelly leaving leaving storyline is going to be Scotland's fault, which yeah. part, part of me is, is okay with that. Yeah. I guess we'll see. We will see. But it looks like it's going on at a, at a breakneck pace here. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we ignore the fact that bans have to be posted and people have is to that have still the, the a thing? chance to to protest against it and, and stuff. Yeah, I think so. Even if you're running away to Scotland? I think particularly if you're running away to Scotland. I don't know. Do I, the bans I, I, have to be posted in the hometown of the people or in Scotland where they're getting married? Where it's going to be... Yeah, in the jurisdiction of the the location where right. it's going to happen. So, so nobody would nobody would protest if they're not there. It still have to be posted, though, and that still right. has to be there for I think a month. That could be wrong. I'm not speaking here with any authority. Haven't haven't done it before. Right. I, I'm speaking of no yeah. with no authority to this. It's much less complicated here in the states to get married. Yeah, we decided on on a Monday and go. Well, yeah, we decided to move it up. Right. We still had to file paperwork. I'm so glad that, you know, you don't have to get a blood test anymore because that's just, that was always weird. Moving on then. Moving on. Our next story is concerns about the factory security. On Wednesday, Toya bumps into Peter and the <laughs> two of them have a lovely chat and they arrange to meet Nina Rose later for lunch. She leaves and Carla comes along cock-a-hoop to announce that she's managed to secure a meeting with Nadim Atella, one of the biggest online retailers who might take Carla's knickers. And I like that. Peter is very impressed. And I like lunch, that. Toya is boring Peter with tales from her recent activism activities and comes Spider and Griff to join them. Griff immediately going full-on maniac protester. There are protests coming up and would you believe and Griff tries to talk Peter and his missus and joining them. Griff is a bit gruff here. Peter explains that Carla will be tied up with her meeting with Nadine Matella. Spider and Griff look at each other as Peter leaves. So it seems that Nadim has a massive carbon footprint and this is a major opportunity to make their feelings known and Griff gets on the phone to his activist buddies to ambush the guy, ask some tough questions and then get it on the TikTok. Toya makes a case for Carla and backs away from getting involved herself as this is on her doorstep. Spider thinks this is right. wise. You don't shit where you eat. Right. On Friday, Toya and Griff, who has tons of questions about the factory security, <clears throat> is planning a sit-in protest. And all of this conversation is witnessed by Leanne. Then Toya sees Leanne in the bistro. Leanne is pissed because she'd promised to stay away from Spider until after the trial. But Toya announces a grand plan to take down this Nadim character. Leanne is suitably unimpressed. Toya, who no longer works at the factory, storms into the factory to have a word with Carla, demanding that she cancels her meeting with Nadim Atala or else... Carla doesn't appreciate the threat from someone trespassing in the factory. I'm glad that was mentioned, finally. She suggests that Toya finds a new hobby other than hanging around with old crusties. Toya meets Spider and Griff at the community garden and brings them up to speed with her conversation with Carla. 
Spider is outraged and calls Toya a liability for blowing the whole gaff with Carla and wants Toya removed from the plans, but Griff thinks she's a useful asset. Privately, Spider says that he was just trying to protect her from Griff because he's a little bit full on. He is a little bit full on. He is. Stunned, she moves in for a... No. You forgot that he also loves her. He also says he loves her. Yes. The Spider says he loves her, not Griff. No. Stunned, she moves in for a smooch, but he panics and runs away. So she rushes to the bistro to tell Leanne that Spider loves her and now won't answer his texts. Leanne is shocked, warning Toya that all their communications could be used against them in the trial. She tells Toya to just let it go, but she doesn't let it go. Toya doesn't work at the bistro, but that doesn't stop her from barging into the office to tell Leanne to bar Carla from making any business meetings there. Quite rightly, Leanne tells Toya to fuck off and sort her own life out Back before, all saving, the, the way off that shit. before saving the planet. She runs away to meet up with Griff at the tram station, telling him that she's in on the plan to kill Nadim Asala. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I kind of like how this guy's name is getting mentioned in several storylines, and this is all getting built up as being a massive big deal. And I think, I'm not sure who he's based on, I wonder if it's like, is it Philip Green? The guy that owns... All the clothes. Who knows? But, uh... I'm kind of getting a little bit sick of Toya. Mm, I don't like saying that, but... Mm, uh, um, mm. That whole storm and then to tell Leanne to stop doing right, business. Yeah. She's just, becoming... Just fucking stop it. She's, she's, she's going back to the whole taking her environmentalism to an extreme that is not helpful for anyone. No. And this makes me very concerned about... Griff makes me very concerned because he seems like the type of person who'd throw a pipe bomb well, into a factory. He, his introduction to the show was announcing all the things that he's been to prison for. Right. So he's, he's not, he's not he's unknown not to, the, um, to, to law enforcement, put it that way. How do you feel about Spider proclaiming his love for Toya? I'm not, I'm not bothered about that. It, it was not a shock. Like it. No, it's not a shock. It was weird that Toya just like immediately went in for a kiss, though. That seemed like a weird right? reaction. Well, what does it tell us about Toya's frame of mind here? That it's all over the place. Right. And that she's just so very lonely that she just... Just clutching on to this, right. this activism thing. She's clutching on to the first sign of uh, potential affection from Spider. Right. I think it's all in keeping with the fact that she's falling to pieces. She is. She is falling to pieces. She's back to... Be- it's interesting that she had that whole sit down with Peter because she's back to that Toya. She's back to the Toya who's so desperate for anything right. that she will do immoral things, unethical things. Yeah, she's just... You're right, she has a hole in her life that she's trying to fill with anything that, that seems like it's, it's it's possibly a thing. And, right. And n- none of it is healthy for her. No. And... And I was going to say that nobody's really helping her. I don't know if anyone's especially trying to help her or trying to help her with the words that she is going to respond positively to because Leanne is just nagging her. Leanne is trying to help her, but Leanne is trying to help her by yelling at her constantly and criticizing her, which she's already getting from everybody else on the street. Yeah. You know, this trial can't happen soon enough. Yeah, it's been a while. I don't know if you have any idea of when it is going to happen. Right, and you'd think that we would have some form of proof one way or the other about what actually happened. Are we going to have to no, wait until the trial no, for that? No, we'll wait until the trial for that. Is it going to be another thing like with Nina where, you know, we the truth is revealed in kind of a 
back. Yeah, and and if if that has any bearing on what happens here, it's like it takes a few goes at the trial before you find out. <laughs> I remember, we had a couple oh. of trials, and mm. well, well, there was a, the threat mm. of a second trial that we Meh. glad gladly missed, but there yes. was the whole run up to that that was just correct, kind of going on and on and on. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that this Griff character is is up to anything good. I have heard rumour or speculation more than rumour that Spider here is a cop out to catch Griff. Griff. Interesting. And I would go for that. Interesting that he's like uh, undercover. Like a stool pigeon. Or an undercover cop, which is better than a stool pigeon. Or a stool pigeon, see? Are you back to... You back to Stephen's new suit? No, that was an attempt at Raymond. <laughs> no, th- that that would work because he's been having all these weird clandestine right. conversations. Yeah, but he's we be- very was careful a... not to give us Too any much. idea of who he's speaking to. We and don't we... know if it's a man or a woman. We don't right. know anything about them. And we thought that maybe it might be a secret family, but it kind of feels like if he had a secret family, he wouldn't blurt out, I love you to Toya, necessarily. Unless he's lying and this is just a way to distract Toya and keep That's her away from the other thing, which is why he backed off from the kiss. That's his last resort is to say that he loves her, just to distract her enough to get her away from this He this, seems this kind of genuine, though. I think he is. I think he does love her. Right. He's maybe not in love with her, but he does love her. Right. I think he's always loved her. Right. Yeah. Kind of Apart the way, from the times that he hasn't. Kind of the way that Peter will always love her and, and you know, be Apart supportive. And, he doesn't, yeah. Right, yeah. He's he's very cautious round about this Griff. He knows he knows knows what Griff is, and it it seems that he has something. He certainly has something under his sleeve. This would be a, a decent explanation to that, I think. It would be an interesting one. Yeah, and it would be an explanation that isn't secret wife. And at this point in the game, I'll take that. Moving on very swiftly to our next story is Postman Sam. So we're going for Postman Pat and Fireman Sam and got Postman Sam. That's me explaining that. Yeah, I don't think anybody needs you to explain that. On Friday. Remember when Stelly and I watched the Postman Pat movie? Nope. It's Sam's (laughs) first day at school. Tyrone offers him a lift, but he wants to take the bus, so Nick and Leanne abandon him on the street. To walk to the bus station. Sam is about to mail something when Hope announces that she'll get the bus too, and Sam's like, damn it. So Tyrone gives so Tyrone gives Hope and Sam a ride home from school. Hope invites Sam for tea, but he needs to get back to the uh, to see Nick, who has been sending thousands of texts during right. the day yeah. to make sure that he's okay. He Nick heads, reminds me of someone. Right. He heads down the street and checking to make sure that the coast is clear, drops something into the post box, but Hope has smelt a rat like a fart in a spacesuit and doubles back and sees him do it. A rat recognises a rat. In the bistro, Sam is chatting to Hope on her walkie-talkies. She wants a skinny on whatever he posted or she'll tell Nick. He threatens to tell Tyrone about whoever she's been chatting to online because I'd forgotten all about that. I hadn't. When we first saw Hope, I was like, oh, I wonder, did did I miss that, that week that I didn't watch the show? Did that get resolved? No. And then apparently, no, it did not. The show just completely forgot about it for a month. Mutual destruction assured. They part on hostile but quiet terms with each other. Hmm. That's as far as we get with that. Interesting. Interesting that that is still going on. 
And you would think, because we've had lots of hope in between with yeah. the whole with the whole fizz and fill. Yeah. You would think that they would have, you know, dusted that in every once in a while before now. But they haven't. Who do you think it is? Who do I think what is? Talking to Hope online. Oh, I have no idea. Do you think it's Jed? Uh, no, I, I hope not. I was more interested in Jed. who Sam's writing this letter to. Right, yeah, because Hope seemed, at, at first seems to think that this is a letter he's written to the school because he thinks the school needs more trees. Yeah, he Sam. had the, the startings of a... It's nice to see him again. Yes. He had the startings of a relationship with a female chess player that right. again was kind of forgotten about so yeah. i don't know if he'd write a letter to her right and he if it was a letter that was like chess moves if he was playing a game by mail i don't know if he'd be cagey about it right and also it's 2022 so if he's playing a long distance chess game one would imagine he would do it by email oh, i can see him doing it by letter just for the romance of it i think you give sam far too much sam? credit Sam. He's a modern kid. He knows that email. Yeah, but I think he would appreciate the... He's much like Roy, I think, in that regard. He would mm. ap- appreciate the, the romance of receiving a letter. I don't and I don't say romance with patience. a capital R. But I don't think he would have the patience to wait. I think he definitely would. Because didn't he, with that wee girl, didn't they do walkie-talkies for a little while as well no, when they were doing hope. chess? No, just hope. Or like on the phone. No, the interesting thing about the girl with the, the chess was that the dad was always parked outside for some reason. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Penultimate storyline is Wendy Flamin Papadopoulos Nick Rosier. On Friday, Abby meets Wendy and Nina Rolls. She's in a bad mood because she saw Rita, so that explains that. <laughs> when Ken comes in, she's very surly to him and knocks him back when he suggests that they meet up for a musical later. Going to a musical, not performing a musical. Right, yeah, Mary hasn't gotten to them yet. Abby wants to talk about this interaction, but Wendy poo-poo's it. She thought that they were getting on, but Wendy says they're no longer enemies, and that's all it is, and she tells Abby to back all the way off. She goes to pay, but discovers that she's left her card at home. So Ken, who's come in to read the paper, he white knights her and pays the bill for her. Annoyed, Wendy announces that she'll pay him back. I have done that. <coughs> I've, I've taken my card out to buy something online. You surprised me. And then forgotten to put it back in, and then driven somewhere, and attempted to buy something, and my card is not there. So annoying. Yeah. I will not shame you by listing some of the places that I've found your card. Yeah, but some of those times are... In the sink. (laughs) In the Rovers, Mary is trying to sign up the locals for her latest Amdram performance. Ed remembers that he forgot to wipe his arse earlier, so he has to rush home and get away from her. Evelyn's nose is out of joint, and she knocks her back too. I don't know why her nose is out of joint. Evelyn's nose, but it is. Well, because she's Evelyn. All right. Wendy goes to see Ken to repay him. She's worried about what people will think and is worried that she'll cause hurt. Ken thinks no one will give a shit and asks her for a drink at the Rovers that she can pay for. And then he giggles that strange wee chuckle <laughs> that he's got. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wendy's in the Rovers and I up one of Mary's flyers for the Am Dram production thing, revealing that she did some Am Drams in her past until Mary Poppins' umbrella put her out of commission. Ken arrives and Wendy talks about how strange it is to be back. Ken gives her plenty of chat and gets out of Wendy how lonely she is these days. Then Mary comes back and Ken quickly calls her over and no sooner said than done, Wendy is signed up for the show. Evelyn gets signed up too and Wendy has had a ball with Ken in the pub and they promise to do it again later. But not like that. And that's as far as we get with that. 
Yes. I quite like the idea of a Mary-run production. Yes. I hope we get to see it this time. Because yes. remember, she was supposed to have a one-woman show. Oh, yeah, and we never got to see it. And we were so angry. Was that COVID's fault? Or did the show just not I do it? I think the show was just being dicks. She had a poster up in Nina Rolls. Seriously, it was this whole big thing. Mary's one-woman show. I would have taken an hour of that. <sighs> quite happily. So Wendy's back, and now Wendy's going to be involved in this. And it looks like... She and Ken are a little bit more than they're just frenemies. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, slowly. They should. They should. They should move it a little faster. Yeah. (laughs) His hair was a little flat this week too. Was it? Yeah. Is that chuckle though? It didn't. It didn't. Feels like it's a new thing. Oh well. You don't think that Ken has ever laughed before? I don't think he's chuckled like that before, and in so many scenes. <laughs> Maybe he's happy and content for the first time in his life. Nah. Nah. <laughs> Our final storyline. We've had Canadians behaving badly. Now yes, we, we have, have treating Canadians badly. <laughs> On Wednesday, Cinco Leo is up bright and breezy looking for employment since he knocked a hole of Canada back. Jenny wants to celebrate by going out for dinner and it's on her and then it's her for dessert but Leo is sick of being a a kept man and wants his own money because he lives in the 1970s seriously I don't understand how why he is so very old fashioned and won't let Jenny pay for a meal well he's a man he's a man's man he's a man's man from up north but he's young he plays rugby he plays rugby and he's a man's man from up north right but he also seems he plays rugby league. He doesn't. He doesn't seem like the type of person to vote for Boris, though. You know what I'm saying? No, I don't think that's those things necessarily go hand in hand. Although he did try his hand at craft beer, and I think that tells you a thing or two. I don't know. I know a lot of liberals who brew craft beer. Later in the pub, Ed is moaning uh, about a man named Tank who used to work for him but got an avocado-related injury. So now he's a man short on his uh, building construction thing. Right, yes. And Leo refers to it as like the most most modern... Middle-class way of getting an injury or something. Yes. So maybe he would vote for Boris. Cinco Leo offers to help him out, and Ed is only too happy to take him up on the offer. When can I start? Two hours ago. So they jump in their DeLorean and hit 88 miles per hour on cobbles. Later, Leo comes back covered in shite, thanks to Paul and his wayward sledgehammer on a sewage pipe. Literally covered in shite. That was the best part. Everyone finds it funny, except Leo, who reckons he could be in Toronto stinking a shite right now. After a shower, Leo apologises for his outburst, but Jenny now is very aware that Leo regrets turning down the Canadian job. She reckons that he should be free to follow his dreams. He admits that Canada was always a dream for him since he heard that the X-Files was actually shot in Vancouver. (laughs) Jenny tells him to get on that phone, call Canada, and tell him he's taking that fucking job after all. He assumes that this means she's coming along too, but fuck that, Jenny's going nowhere because Leo sounds an awful lot like Johnny when he's covered in shite. (laughs) Does he eat lasagna when he's covered in shite? Does he complain about... Who eats chili con carne without rice? Me! Out front, Jenny is hitting the ball. Gemma tries to talk her into going to Canada, although it means that Daisy would be looking after the pub and Gemma would be looking after Rita. Alia jacta est, says Jenny. Huh? Says Gemma. (laughs) It is what it is, says Jenny. Then Kirk says something funny about bears. (laughs) He does say something. Right, yeah, he seems to think that 
living in Canada. Canada's full of grizzlies. Parts. There's also black bears Mm -hmm. and Alaskan brown bears Mm -hmm. and occasionally polar bears. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of bears then. Yeah. Lots and lots of bears. No panda bears though. No. And no koala bears. Neither one of those are actual bears. There we go. (laughs) They are men in suits. All of them and are then, men in suits. If you see a panda, that's a man in a suit. I challenge you to find me a picture of a panda that's actually a panda. And then koalas are just smelly. Oh, they're so smelly. Smelly STI spreaders. Well, they're chlamydia. Yes, they're full of the yes. chlamydia. Koala bears, full of the chlamydia. Through the back again, Leo has been on the phone to Canada. He spoke to Hank, who has agreed to let him take the job after Canadian all. Canadian Hank. Leo is sad at losing Jenny, though, and can't face Cena on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, breaks your heart, says a drunk Jenny. So Leo decides to move out and he goes to pack his bags. Jenny drunk is the best drunk. Right, because it's not... This is this is a better Jenny drunk than... Remember Jenny drunk before when she was uh, trying to get Liz sexually assaulted? Oh, that was morose drunk Jenny. That, yeah, that wasn't that great. That was not great. But this is good. This is wonderful drunk acting. Yes. The best drug acting we've seen on the show, and we've seen a lot of drug yeah, acting. Big heart, says, says Jenny. <laughs> on Friday, Rita pops in to cheer up Jenny and help her cope with her heartache. Jenny's all right so long as she's got access to Vino. She calls Leo a lovely distraction, but nothing more. Your arse, says Rita, but Jenny insists. Easy come, easy go. Right. Sometimes literally, and sometimes they hang around to wipe it on the curtain. Rita goes round to see Gemma to tell her that Jenny is fine But Gemma won't hear about it Insisting that she loves Leo And is too scared to take a risk Rita was taken in and convinced So Gemma tells her to unconvince herself And get this shite sorted Meanwhile Leo goes to see Ed to tell him That getting covered in shite was about as bad as he thought His life was going to get But now he's moving to Canada on his own Without Jenny Gemma sees this exchange and is immediately on the phone to Rita Demanding that Rita gets to the bistro so Gemma abandons her position at the kebab shop to drag Leo into the bistro and ply him with drink. And maybe a couple of kids. <laughs> New kids? Or existing kids? Existing Exist- kids. Okay, thank fuck. Because let's, let's remember, she's responsible for five. She was hanging up washing in tonight's episode and not one of those things was anything that belonged to a child. No. In the rovers, Stephen sees Jenny getting wired into the vino and manages to wangle some information out of Sarah who explains about Jenny being the sole owner of the rovers and in the middle of an off-again, on-again part of the cycle with her toy boy and that her stepdaughter's name is Daisy. Thanks for that exposition, says Stephen. Yes. Rita shows up at the bistro and starts to tell Leo about Jenny's upbringing, which is a thought would have been part of their conversation before running off to Canada. Right. She describes Jenny as a soul who has been let down by many in the past and who needs reassurance and security and commitment. So persuade her, says Rita. And Gemma says, Jenny proper loves them. Stephen sigles up to the bar and deliberately calls Jenny Daisy, as he thought that was the name of the sexy barmaid. Jenny, who has been neck and wine for a couple of days now, falls for this Canadian charm. Yes. And Stephen continues with his charm with Jenny by talking about the definition of discombobulated. That always works. Mm. She suggests that she joins him in the back to crack open Johnny's special reserve. Also, he's got some fancy whiskey. But not like that. Stephen brushes... I was a little late on that. Uh, far too late. Apologies. Uh, you were so late that it spoiled the punchline. <laughs> Stephen brushes the charity shop smell from his suit and joins her. Through the back and loaded up on Johnny's frisky juice, Stephen continues to work it and Jenny flings herself at him. He asks if she's sure and she says her knickers are combobulated. Yikes. In the bar, 
Gemma and Sean are talking about Leo when Leo comes in, keen to have her order Jenny, and rather than wait to see her, he shows them his enormous ring. But not like that. Gemma, no, you were on, on point with that one. Absolutely. Gemma I'm goes to get here for the rings. Gemma goes to get Jenny, who Sean knows is in the back room doing accounts, which is code for Stephen. She walks in on them snogging and quickly shuts the door before Leo can see. Thank telling, God. Telling Leo that Jenny definitely isn't back there about to get fucked off of Stephen. Well done, Gemma. She tells him to wait up front. Meanwhile, Jenny throws Stephen out and motions to Gemma in the pub that she needs a couple of minutes to rid herself of the... No. The pheromones. Is it pheromones? Pheromones. Pheromones, there we go. Wait. When, when does Gemma talk to Jenny and say that Leo is out front? She never does. So how does Jenny know? I think she maybe hears the conversation on the other side of the door. She's so very drunk. It's weird. And she's becoming less drunk by the minute. Well, we'll, we'll continue. She's becoming more sober. Meanwhile, Jenny throws Stephen out emotions to Jim. She's still pushed when she comes through and Leo launches into a weird speech about rugby that makes Sean worried that he's forgotten what he came in to say. And then he proposes marriage. And genuinely shocked, Jenny is thrilled sober and agrees. Outside, Leo is blabbering to Jenny about long engagements and only moving to Canada when they're ready telling her that Ed's given him his job back, making it sound like he's about to knock back Canada again. Privately, Gemma gives Jenny a hard time about Stephen, but Jenny blames it on the booze. Then they all arrange to meet in the bistro for booze. Because this is something that happens with Jenny. She gets really drunk and then snogs the wrong person. Like Ronnie. Yeah. This this had inklings of Ronnie. Right. Only, let's be honest, we'd all rather snog Ronnie than Stephen. Oof. No offence to Stephen, but... Well, no. Great offence to Stephen. Oh. Who is a slimy, oily Canadian who's trying to steal his mother's money. And is now trying to steal... Or or was at least laying the foundations to steal Jenny's money. Right. And con Sarah into stealing money or something. Getting a loan. Right. That he's going to then steal. Right, exactly. Yeah. Jenny, Leo, Gemma and Rita are in the bistro chatting about all the goings on today. Everyone is invited to the wedding, wherever it happens to be. And whenever. Jenny is slightly cautious when she sees Sarah and Stephen come in. Back at the bar, Jenny tells Gemma that she's thinking about telling Leo about Stephen. Who confesses about something that didn't happen, says Gemma, and that seems to put that to bed. Back at the table, Leo stands up and makes a shit speech, and the collective willpower of everyone in the room makes him shut up and sit down. Sarah and Stephen toast him from the other side of the room. Then Leo is off to get his stuff and move back into the rovers when he bumps into Sarah and Stephen outside and he learns that Stephen is Canadian too, despite the accent. And, and the fact that he's been living in Italy for years. And gets his number to hit him up for details later. Meanwhile, Sean lets Jenny know that he knows something was up because he could smell Stephen's suit in the back room earlier. Then Leo gets back to the pub and explains about getting Stephen's contacts and how nice a guy Stephen was and how he didn't want any of them to be lost or discombobulated after they moved to Canada. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Mm. Where's Daisy? She was off on a hen do. Oh, that's right. Because I was like, wouldn't Daisy want to be here for this? Daisy would have kicked Stephen out faster than... Yeah, that would never have happened if Daisy was there. No. No. That's why Daisy had to be away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen is just just the worst. And I've... 
I've tried to just the worst. I've tried to maintain an open mind of them, but no. this week has just been just dreadful. Right, dreadful behaviour. He's just he does not care who he hurts. Nope. He has no care, and he is so slimy. Because remember, he was slimy with Tim's mum and Yasmin as well a couple of weeks ago. Right. And like a month ago, when he first showed up, he was being really oily with Tim's mom. And then he moved on to Yasmin. And right. Then Yasmin knocked him back because he was a wee bit racist and classist. And was he racist? Sexist as well. I, I don't think he was racist. But I he think was, he was a little bit racist. But he was, he was talking about classism and art and stuff. And I, I seem to remember something that he said about art smacked a wee bit maybe not racism necessarily but colonialism i don't know i'd have to go back and rewatch but it was enough and to, that's never going to happen it was enough to put no because let's be honest there's so much to watch there is there's two more friday the 13th movies to kick off seriously with. and i still have one more limited series to watch he was just very much the big i am when he was right uh, chatting with with yasmin and, and there's been and she such came a out decline saying, she came out saying Nobody loves Stephen any more than Stephen does. And I think right. that was really her problem with this. He was just far too full of himself. Right. And, yeah. But I don't know if he was the same Stephen then as he is now. Well, but obviously. Were, but, but, well, he went away for a couple of weeks. And I don't know what happened in those two weeks. If he was, if that's when he lost his fortune or whatever, if there even was a fortune. But I think that may have been when his wife left him. But I, there seems, there seemed even then something up with him right you know because even from the very beginning david especially was suspicious of him and wanting to get his hands on audrey's money and gail was a little suspicious of him as well yeah so but he was flat out trying to corner because they said to her you know you don't need to check this paperwork because i've checked it for you so you just need to sign it yeah and i think that was going to sign everything over to him right there and then right but which maybe is, uh, not which because, Adam because Adam had already looked at that. Yeah. But still, I, yeah, there's always been something a little suspicious about him from like the very beginning. And I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because everybody seems to think that everybody needs to have a deep, dark secret. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of the characters never have a deep, dark secret. It doesn't seem like Leo has a deep, dark secret. It seems like what you see is what you get with Leo. Which, and yeah, Phil with two L's never had a deep dark secret, and everybody thought that Phil with two L's was going to murder Fizz at some point, mm-hmm. and that maybe he murdered his other wife. Yeah, Leo was actually quite funny tonight because when he yeah. was on on his knee to propose, right? Like, Can you, you see me? Yeah, and you couldn't, so he kind of propped himself so up. Jim was holding up the phone to try and record it from a better angle. Right. But she yeah. was quite funny tonight as well. Yeah, everybody. But this kind of suggests that maybe Jenny is going to Canada then. And Sally Ann Matthews has been very cagey on social media about about all of this. Well, she's she's been a bit she's been a bit cagey. You know, I would hate to lose her, but we have lost so many. We've lost so many. <laughs> By the end of have. the year, it's just going to be Craig and Kirk left. Yeah, celebrating his own birthday. <sighs> No, I, I mean, Leo has Ed has agreed to take Leo back on, so that is nice. But what, what's the point of that if they're leaving? 
Well, he said it, it does sound like he might they might go now or they might go later and then he would have to get like another that, right? job. Jobs are like that. Well, the the way that he's getting that number from Stephen and, and when uh, Jenny said, why would you need this? And he's like, well, if we don't go now, then I'm going to lose that job and I'm going to need other people to work for when we get to Canada. Because and because <laughs> now we're moving to Canada without a job. It's it's kind of frustrating. And I'm sure many, many of our Canadian friends are frustrated that they don't. The show doesn't seem to feel like they need to be more specific than Canada, which is. Oh, Toronto, I think, wasn't it? I, I think we assume Toronto. I think it said Toronto because that was where Stephen was. They said Toronto tonight. Did he? Okay. Mm. You know, because Canada's a very big place. Granted, it's kind of like Scotland where, you know, everybody kind of lives in one little clump and then things are not quite as populated. One little clump. They all love, they all. The border, the border with the US is, is densely populated. Right. The, the further north you go. The further north, yeah. It's I, thought, like, I think they're getting upset about, is it, is it that easy to, to live and become a resident in Canada? Well, it's still a commonwealth, isn't it? Well, no, they've got their independence, but still, they like participate in the Commonwealth Games and everything. So I don't know if participation in the Commonwealth Games is a commentary on their immigration procedures. I think it would be easier for a British person to move to Canada than, say, even an American person. Although I have no idea. Although there are a lot of people who live in the state that we live in that work in Canada, hmm. and lots of Canadians who live just over the border that work in the US so I don't know it, it, it feels it feels like this happens quite a bit in the show though that people move to Canada or Australia and it seems very easy where it shouldn't be that easy and it probably speak, isn't that easy speaking don't want to speak too much about something that isn't Coronation Street but the neighbours finale kind of one of the main plot points in that was that an ever-growing member of the members of the, this family were going to move to New York just because you can just move to New York because that's how easy it is to, <laughs> to move to New York. And I bet you laughed an awful lot with that, didn't you? Right. So how how are you doing this? Because the the sad fact is, if you want to move and live in New York, you can't. No, no, it's <laughs> immigration is not easy. I don't think even if you wanted, if you lived in New York and you wanted to go and live in London, that you could just decide well tomorrow i'm going to go and live in london right there there's a certain population there's a certain one would say one percent who can do that sort of thing yeah if you've got like a hundred grand to throw into your business then right. maybe doors will open for you but who, right who's that or you're like an actor or something yeah you have like that what is it what is it that melania used is it like a genius or something know sort of immigration but yeah immigration's not easy i mean i think from jenny's point of view since johnny's gone out of it she's been a bit lost yeah and that was part of her story was how lost that she was right. and then the the ronnie thing for a while right and and then the the leo thing and, right. and really having been the kind of mother figure to daisy right I don't. I think there are characters who have had less after a major storyline than than Jenny. I don't think she's. You know, we were talking about Ryan. Right, right exactly. So there, there's a character that has no has, family left. I had had a really hard time finding a storyline. 
And no job. And there's a, a threat, we, we, we thought. And I don't think I put Jenny in that, that category no. at all. She's so kind of an be, anchor of the community. I'd be pretty surprised if she was to leave to go to Canada with him. Yeah. And, if, and when they split up, it was kind of, well, that, that, that's, that. that's that then. But it's, it's given never more that's that, though. That little spark's given a little bit more oxygen. And, and who knows now where that's going to go. I kind of kinda hope that she doesn't. No. And I kind of hope that she doesn't go in this storyline. That would be a better, more explosive or dramatic exit than just going off to live with Canada with some bloke who plays rugby. There's more to Leo than rugby. Don't have an awful lot of time, but he does genuinely. Carry. He does seem to genuinely love Jenny. He is a kind person. He's got some weird values as far as masculinity is concerned. Don't Doesn't get me like, wrong. Don't cover him in shite. He does not enjoy that. Well, nobody does except for the Germans. <laughs> Oof! Waited an hour and forty-five minutes to drop that one, but <laughs> said the Germans. <laughs> I think we'd better wrap this one up before we <laughs> offend anyone else. And also two girls. That was the week that was Coronation Street. What was your moment of the week? Uh, it's got to it's gotta be Audrey telling the family about her, uh, her attempt at suicide, yes? I kind of more inclined because we've kind of done that already. And well, I think it was, was better with our um, friends. For me, the moment of the week this week, oddly was Billy and Summer. Again, we gave it to Billy and Summer the last time they had a couch moment where they said basically the same thing that they said to one another this time. I don't know that we did. We did. I remember. Oh, you remember things wrong sometimes. <laughs> so do you. Yeah, I don't know. I I think the, the Audrey Friends moment of the week is a bit, a bit too fresh. Mm. To give it to essentially the same conversation again, mm. and it was done better with the friends, I think. Well, n- not necessarily with with the whole family there, but when it was just her and Gail, I thought that was very good. I really, you know, Gail's reaction, although the whole family's reaction, except for Stephen, because I don't like him. But you know, the way David, we, we've commented about the fact that David is very undavid. You know, he's not cracking jokes. He's genuinely concerned about his gran. And Sarah is very concerned about her. And, and the way that they react is so natural. Yeah, I know. But two weeks ago, we gave it to pretty much the same thing. Uh, we could give it to Jenny and Leo getting engaged. That's a thing. When was the last time we gave it to Leo and Jenny? Never, I don't think. I don't think we've ever given it to to Leo. No, let's let's let's, let's give it to Leo and Jenny. Maybe that will convince them to stay and not move to Canada. Oh, it's, it's a moment of the week. Stephen kicking the fuck out of that blue bin. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, because that went on too long. And also, I don't want to give Stephen anything because he's a bad person. Well, it was good to see him all upset then. No, because I don't want to praise him for being good at being upset. Jenny was very good at being drunk, remember? Sally Ann she Matthews was. is a great actress. Yeah, but you're not wanting to give her it for that. You're wanting to give her it for getting engaged to Leo. Yeah, which was cute with him saying, can you see me? And she's still drunk at that point. She's slowly coming out of it. 
All right, fair enough. Jenny and Leo getting engaged in the same week that Stephen kicked a blue bin as our moment of the week. Uh, remember the week? It's tough because there was a lot of good stuff this week. This was a good week. It was a pretty good week. Yeah. Having said it, it's just been a great week. What was your boring moment of this great week? Yeah, see, this makes it harder. I think it's Craig's birthday drinks. Oh, God, we didn't even talk about that. No, we didn't. And there's a good reason for that. Sean's not wrong about about that very, very... Cut that ancient umbilical dusty cord. Dusty umbilical cord between Craig and his mum. Right. I felt embarrassed for everyone involved. <laughs> yeah, that's our... Boring moment of the week. <laughs> Boring moment of the week. How fabulous is Beth in her glasses, though? Yeah. I love Beth in her glasses. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about wraps up for another week. Yes. If you have a dusty old umbilical cord just waiting to be cut, Ken has the pair of scissors just for the task. <laughs> Send photos to us at the Talk of the Street. We're the Talk of the Street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I've started posting to Instagram now. Really? Yeah. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. The talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.